something. What are we going to start out with? We ain't going to start out at nothing. Why? Oh, so we'll get you rest if we start out here at anything. That's uh, right. That's right in there watching us. Jack Bernard, I don't mean that. I mean start out a number on a program. Oh, you're going to pin one first, yeah. aren't you? Well, uh, what's your name of it? I do from the first number, old Frisky Dan. Let's have it. Well, okay, you guys. Yeah, you were on the air, but uh, that was back in 1939. That was Lonnie Robertson, and uh, we're just going to let him saw away. That was back in Springfield, Missouri, 1939. But now it's time for Farm and Fiddle the radio program that celebrates and explores rural life for today and tomorrow on KOPN 89.5 FM in Columbia, Missouri. I'm Margo McMillan. I'm Red Hartman. And this is Josh Stevens. Thank you for joining us. And we have a great program planned for this evening. We're going to be talking about the news. In fact, this show is going to be all about the news. Uh, inspired by the fact that my local paper, the Fulton Sun, has gone from mostly print to mostly digital. And it sort of joined a, a lot of mid-Missouri papers that have done the same trajectory. So I thought it would be a good time to check in with, with a paper in Storm Lake, Iowa, the Storm Lake Times, that has been mostly digital and partly paper for a while. And they also are the paper that won the Pulitzer. They're the, the smallest of the small town papers that I, I know of that's ever won a Pulitzer Prize. Art Cullen, who is editor of the Storm Lake Times, will be joining us. And the, the Storm Lake Times got there Pulitzer for editorial work. They covered the struggle that the city of Des Moines has had with pollution caused by the farming area. Now everybody knows that Iowa's the tall corn state. It's very well known for its amazing output of commodity crops. It's also well known for its uh, output of hogs, chickens, eggs, as you'll hear Art talk about his own town of Storm Lake. All of that activity is possible because of the land of Iowa and the part where, where Storm Lake is located, especially, would be if, if it wasn't for drainage ditches that cut through the land, would be kind of a boggy area there are water impoundments that are known as prairie potholes, and there's uh, lots of groundwater close to the surface. It has been drained off, and you'll also hear Art talk about a drought that's going on right now. So agriculture has had a huge impact on the landscape. And the city of Des Moines has been impacted because the rivers that provide Des Moines with their uh, drinking water travel through these boggy areas and are actually fed by the drainage ditches that go through the land. So the city of Des Moines a few years ago, the Des Moines Water Works, which supplies the water to the city, 
pursued a lawsuit to try to get the commodities to pay their fair share in cleaning up the water so it could be drinkable. There's quite a bit of chemicals, nitrates, phosphates, uh, ammonia, that kind of thing that come down these drainage ditches and the city has to pay to take them out. So sometimes the costs to the city are hugely high and they've had to put in lots of new equipment. So they were trying to get relief from that. The lawsuit was led by Des Moines Water Works CEO Bill Stowe and many of our listeners will remember Bill Stowe came to Mid-Missouri a couple of years ago, did a talk on behalf of the Friends of Responsible Agriculture in Callaway County, and many Mid-Missourians turned out for that uh, annual dinner. That was the fourth annual dinner of Friends of Responsible Agriculture. The Des Moines Waterworks lost their lawsuit, and an even greater loss was uh, the death of Bill Stowe. He had contracted cancer and uh, passed away. But the story of the fight of the Des Moines Waterworks was covered by the Storm Lake Times and particularly by Art Cullen, who we're going to hear from in a little bit. And it garnered a Pulitzer for this tiny newspaper that uh, operates in a in a town that the census says has about 10,000 residents. Kicking the program off, I thought we would start with, uh, yes, a little agriculture in the news, but a piece of writing by Art Cullen. And uh, hear that newspaper? That's a real honest-to-gosh paper newspaper. Um, this is where I read art in the progressive populist. It is a twice-monthly paper that comes out of, it, it is produced in Iowa but edited in Austin, Texas by Art's brother Jim Cullen. And um, I'll just full disclose that I also write for progressive populists. So the um, headline of this column, this is Art's column, and I'm going to have to cut it a little bit for uh, to get it to fit into this time slot that we have. Um, but the, the headline is, Anxiety is a hard sell in a catastrophic run-up to the election. Here we go. It's dry. So dry that my neighbor Steve, the tractor parts man who hears it first, figures that the combines might start rolling through the brown corn in just a week or two. Some farmers are cutting corn for livestock silage and it's punky. 150 bushels per acre should catch a lot of it around Storm Lake, Iowa, which is in severe drought along with much of the corn belt. That's a 25% yield chop-off expectations. It makes farmers itch to get after it before the paper-dry corn falls to a freak wind. A hurricane-like derecho wind flattened 14 million acres in the tall corn state just a couple weeks ago. This as corn prices are at their lowest point in a decade. Fourteen teacher aides reluctantly quit just before classes resumed last week. The students mainly come from meatpacking households, Latino, Asian, and African, whose breadwinners were ordered into close working quarters in April by a president who demanded slower virus testing. We were among the hottest COVID spots in the land. The infection rate shot up in the college towns as the students returned. Governor Kim Reynolds ordered the bars shut down in six of the state's 99 counties. Our virus rate refuses to recede. The governor ordered everyone back to class but didn't tell schools how to do it. Our superintendent begged patience. 
The state last week acknowledged that it was disseminating faulty data about COVID infection as recently as July. The meatpacking industry is doing its own testing of employees on a selective basis. Deaths and hospitalizations have ebbed here, but Dr. Michael Osterholm of Minnesota warns of a second wave as Iowa flares up. Children have their temperatures checked at the school door. We have no idea what the infection rate really is or how long we can conduct classes. Masks are not required, but everyone was wearing them in class this week. The kids here seem to get it. Labor is restless. John Deere laid off Davenport and Waterloo workers last fall and last spring. Deere reported strong profits its last week as a result, despite slumping sales. There's the disconnect between the stock market and Main Street. The Dow rises while enhanced unemployment benefits expire. Farmers are anxious. Latinos are terrified. Unemployed machinists are frustrated. That prized demographic suburban women in Urbandale next to Des Moines are encouraging the school board to sue the governor over her in-person school orders. Our people came here to be free of the corruption and violence, said Storm Lake City Councilman Jose Ibera. Now it has come back to find us. Where can we go? What can we do but vote? They said their older folks, who never saw a reason before, have finally found one. So that's an editorial by Art Cullen of the Storm Lake Times in Storm Lake, Iowa. You can hear just from that very brief excerpt how the Storm Lake Times ended up with a Pulitzer in 2017. So without further ado, let's go to the interview with Art Cullen. And I started out by asking him to talk a little bit about Storm Lake, Iowa, his hometown. Your, your newspaper has been successful in a really small market, and maybe you could just tell us a little bit about what Storm Lake, Iowa is, is like. Well, Storm Lake is a town, the census says 10,000. Mm-hmm. Uh, we believe it's closer to 15,000 mm-hmm. uh, because there's so many immigrants living in Storm Lake. Mm-hmm. And even if they're here legally, they're suspicious of, uh, of somebody knocking at the door uh, with a briefcase or a folder. Mm-hmm. And so we think there's some pretty big undercounts here. And there probably will be in the new census. Uh, especially with Trump terrorizing undocumented immigrants. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a meatpacking town. Uh, we have a Tyson pork facility here, and uh, they also slaughter turkeys here. And then 15 miles north of us, we have uh, one of the biggest egg processing facilities. Excuse me, I'm going to shut off my email here. It's dinging. Okay. I'm sorry about that. No, not a problem. Okay. We have uh, uh, two large meatpacking plants here, and about 70% uh, of those employees are immigrants. And and so, as a result, about 90% of our elementary school are children of color. Mm -hmm. And uh, about 30 different dialects are spoken in Storm Lake, languages and dialects. Wow. From Sudan to Myanmar to uh, Mexico to Cuba. And so it's a very interesting polyglot of people uh, in a small, isolated Northwest Iowa county seat town. Yeah, that's, I don't think we have, we may have a town or two in Missouri that we can, can say something like that, but not nearly that amount of diversity. How, how has that gone for a, a small town? How have, how have you guys adapted to that? Those well, uh, it started in the 
80s when uh, there were Southeast Asian refugees living in camps in Thailand. Uh, they were called the Thai Dom people from Laos. Mm-hmm. And uh, Governor Bob Ray invited their entire culture to be moved to Iowa out of these refugee camps. And so Glenn and Storm Lake were two of the first big beachheads of Thai Dom refugees. Uh-huh. And uh, at the, that was about the time that uh, IBP took over our pork processing plant that had been closed down for a year over, a, a, it had been a high grade plant. Mm. And the union was busted, and they brought in about 300 Laotian refugees to help staff that uh, when IBP launched the pork plant here. It was mm-hmm. the first pork plant. Uh, mm-hmm. They had been dominated in beef, and then they got into pork. Mm-hmm. And so that's how it started. And then in about 1990, following the farm crisis, most of the young working class white people fled Iowa mm-hmm. and uh, for Oklahoma, Texas, for oil patch country. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so then the people, the young white guys who used to work in meat packing, weren't here anymore. And so then Latinos started coming in from Jalisco, which is a largely agricultural state uh, headquartered by Guadalajara. So in 1990, Latinos started coming and then and then there were Somalian refugees and Sudanese refugees and refugees from Myanmar and all over the world uh, started coming here, especially after they started clamping down the border. And then more and more international refugees came. So uh, the communities dealt with it very well, other than, you know, with with every first wave, with the Asians, there was a lot of resentment from old union members understandably and so it wasn't so much racial as it was these foreigners kind of uh you know took our jobs and they did uh there's no question about that Mm -hmm. and however those union men could have worked for half their union wages if they had chosen to but they of course chose not to Mm -hmm. and so then when the latinos came in there was another kind of you know, getting used to it period of five years. At that time, they were mainly young males, not married. And, you know, they'd get drunk and get in bar fights and people had reactions. And then, you know, those guys got married. The long and short of it is Storm Lake has now adopted to where police have turned their armored vehicles into ice cream vending machines. and all that military surf. Now they have a, a, mili- a Humvee that distributes ice cream to kids in poor neighborhoods. So it's, and the schools have about 150 teacher aides who are helping kids with all these different languages, immersing them in English. Uh-huh. So now if you're an immigrant and you graduate from Storm Lake High School, you're going to graduate with a high school diploma and a community college degree from Iowa Central Community College Uh uh, that either qualifies you for a a vocational tech job or you can go on to be University University here in town and uh, get a full ride scholarship for a first generation college student. So the community is building on this because these, you know, every other rural community is losing population. Storm Lake wants to uh, capitalize organically on this growth and keep these kids home so their parents are meat packers. The kids are going to be college graduates and they're starting businesses, working in banks, originating loans, uh, mortgages, and building houses uh, with their Votech degrees. Uh, and so it's really been, you know, kind of an unmitigated success story. Wow. Uh, except that these meatpacking wages uh, need to be higher. Other, we have a lot of people living on the edge of poverty uh, because uh, the wages are just too low. Mm-hmm. However, these, the next generation 
uh, that's not working in the plant are starting new businesses and getting college degrees. And unlike us, we ship our kids off to the Twin Cities or Kansas City. Mm -hmm. These people, these kids want to stay home and take care of their parents and live in multi-generational households. So it's, it's been, uh, you know, overall a very much a success. Well, this is a really wonderful report. I have to ask you about COVID in the meat plants because that seems right. to be the hot button right now. Yeah, um, well, at one point, uh, Buena Vista County, that's our county, we, we don't say Buena Vista, we say Buena Vista. Okay. And uh, we were the hottest spot in the country several weeks ago, according to the New York Times. And there was a surge, and we're, by the way, experiencing another surge right now as we speak. Mm -hmm. But originally in April, they, these uh, people were sh calling in sick because they were afraid of COVID. They didn't want to go into a potentially unsafe workplace where they're standing shoulder to shoulder uh, cutting pork or turkeys. But, you know, President Trump then ordered them into work, which I believe was illegal. I don't think he has the authority to do that. And the governor of Iowa, along with the governor of Nebraska, said that people who didn't report to work would not be eligible for unemployment benefits. So these people were ordered into the, cynically, I would say, ordered into these, and, and there was a, a conspiracy going on between the USDA, the governors of Iowa and Nebraska, and the meatpacking, and South Dakota, and the meatpacking industry uh, to order these people into work, to threaten their unemployment benefits, to protect them from liability, the companies, from worker lawsuits for gross negligence. And, and so uh, that's created a lot of confusion and fear uh, here. And a lot of people feel like even if you're legal, you've got papers, they can still deport you. And uh, that's what they believe. And I think they're probably right. And uh, given the evidence from the Trump administration, and that even if you're a U.S. citizen, you can get swept up. Uh, if you're brown, um, you can get swept up and end up in a detention center and you have to prove you're a citizen. Mm -hmm. So these people lay low and they, aren't, they don't raise hell. And they report to work. And, uh, you know, and... The first person to die was a black man who worked at Tyson. So since then, Tyson has put in more personal protective equipment and reportedly has tried to space out workers. And, but when they're running line speeds as fast as they are, you just can't space out workers. I just know that we uh, slaughter over 15,000 hogs a day here. Uh, when you're running at that rate, you just you are shoulder to shoulder. Yeah, yeah. I think it was for chickens. I think it was 140, and I set my metronome to 140, and you can't you can't even hear that fast. You know. Yeah, right. Whipping past you, unimaginable. Yeah, and actually, during this pandemic, they've actually uh, received permission from USDA to speed up line. Speed, yeah. and to reduce food inspections uh, at the same time, especially in the red meat industry. Yeah. Well, um, let's talk a little bit about the newspaper and maybe how, how the newspaper has dealt with these changes. And then the, the advocacy that the newspaper, you know, op-eds and things that, that, that newspapers do. So maybe just a little history of, of the Storm Lake Times. Yeah, well, uh, my brother John started the Times in our hometown. We grew up here mm -hmm. uh, in 1990, and I joined him that year to help. Uh, he was the publisher and I was the editor. And so now we're about a 2,800 circulation twice a week newspaper. Uh, we come out on, on uh, Wednesdays and Fridays. and. Uh, <clears throat> Uh, in 2017, we were fortunate to win a Pulitzer Prize mm -hmm. for editorial writing about agricultural pollution of surface water in Iowa, and uh, which had generated a lawsuit by the Des Moines Water Works. And it, it, uh, that lawsuit became national news, and 
we were editorializing for transparency in the negotiations between the waterworks and the counties, and we were urging a mediation, essentially, between agriculture and the environment. And uh, uh, so in a series of editorials in 2016, we were kind of urging for uh, kind of a, you know, a truce between agriculture and the environment. Uh, how do we move forward uh, in an era of climate change that where we can have prosperous, what we knew as family farms, and at the same time have clean water and clean air. And it's that re, it redirected the conversation in Iowa, I think, uh, because at the same time, everybody in rural areas is waking up to the idea of climate change as we had a derecho that ripped through this state and destroyed Cedar Rapids. We, you know, we watched towns flood uh, washed down the Missouri River last year, Missouri uh, or uh, Hamburg and, and Pacific Junction, Iowa no longer exist. They are in the Missouri River. And so th at the same time as this lawsuit was being litigated, and by the way, uh, the Des Moines Water Works lost the lawsuit and big agriculture won, but it did change the conversation. And that is how can we move forward in a, in a sustainable way? And that conversation has snowballed through the Iowa caucuses. And now it's part of the national agenda as the, as the West Coast burns. And people are talking seriously about the Green New Deal again. And Joe Biden has embraced it. A lot of that conversation started in Iowa during, uh, with the Des Moines Waterworks lawsuit, I, I think. And so, the newspaper now is when the pandemic hit in April, my brother John and I had a, a very dark discussion about would the newspaper survive? Should we just shut it down? Because advertising dried up overnight. We were losing money big time. And all we could see for the next two years were going to be monthly losses. So it was kind of an existential moment for us. And we launched a fundraising campaign, a GoFundMe campaign saying, help. And we raised nearly $30,000. And we also got a PPP loan. Thank God for Nancy Pelosi. And that saved us. Then after the GoFundMe campaign, we watched and our circulation revenue started to increase. After we told people, hey, we're going broke. All of a sudden, people from around the country started buying subscriptions. Hmm. In July and August, we actually broke even uh, without hmm. any PPP loan or fundraising. But from subscription revenue alone, we broke even. And so last Easter, we were looking into our own graves. Hmm. And I believe people might have woken up up to the fact that uh, the pandemic might have woken people up to the fact that you need accurate, straight information about what's happening in your community right now. And uh, we're seeing it across the country. The New York Times uh, has record circulation. The Washington Post is very healthy. A lot of community newspapers are uh, capitalize, just beginning to capitalize on that now. And I think we're going to make it. That's great news. So what kind of things do, does the Storm Lake Times cover that would make it different like than the New York Times or uh, the Washington Post? Well, for example, in winning the Pulitzer, that really originated with my son Tom reporting on the Buena Vista County Board of Supervisors at the courthouse. They were the defendants in the lawsuit. Uh, with the Des Moines Water Works. And so that's really, it's, that's nuts and bolts reporting of covering the Board of Supervisors yep. every week, covering the City Council. And uh, sometimes you end up winning a Pulitzer Prize doing that. <laughs> and uh, so we'd like to think that we cover our courthouse as well as the New York Times covers the Supreme Court. And uh, that's what we try to do. 
And that's an interview with Art Cullen of the Storm Lake Times. Uh, we're going to hear a little bit more of that interview in a minute, but uh, gee, I realize we haven't played any fiddle tunes yet, so we've got to get to that. I want to mention that this is Farm and Fiddle, the radio program that celebrates and explores rural life for today and tomorrow. I'm Margot McMillan, and uh, it is October 1st, 2020, and it sure looks like fall, doesn't it? It's, it's really getting uh, that cold, chilly, rainy aspect. All of the leaves are turning, and we'll, we'll have some pretty color in another week or so. Acorns are falling. If you are one of those folks that likes to gather acorns and figure out how to make them palatable, this is your time, folks. And now let's give our ears a little treat. We're going to listen to Cattle in the Corn. Just because, you know, it is that time of year. Played by Cecil Goforth, who, by the way, was John Hartford's one of his favorite, favorite fiddlers and one of his mentors. And if I was at KOPN right now, I would be able to go to the KOPN CD stacks and, or maybe the vinyl, and uh, find a copy of that being played by John Hartford because I know he recorded it a couple of times and I know it's there in the KOPN library. But that's not where I am. Like all sensible people, I am self-isolating at home and uh, looking out the window at the fall season that's changing right before my eyes. This is Farm and Fiddle, KOPN 89.5 FM. We're going to go back to the interview that I pre-recorded with Art Cullen, and uh, then we're going to close with a little chore of the week. And oh my goodness, aren't there a lot of them this time of year. So thanks for listening. Uh, you might remember when we left Art Cullen just a minute ago, he was talking about how the Storm Lake Times being a local paper and centered on local events is different than the other newspapers you might get off of your iPad, such as the Washington Post or the New York Times. He had remarked, of course, that those newspapers are not going to cover what's going on in our local communities. They're not going to go to the courthouse and see what the county commission is doing, or they're not going to go to the state legislature here in Missouri and uh, or in Iowa and try to figure out what kind of bills are being passed. And that, of course, has at least as much impact, and I would probably argue more impact, on our everyday lives than the goings-on in Washington, D.C., or New York City, or Los Angeles, or one of the big coastal cities. So given the importance of that kind of news, how are we going to expect these small newspapers in these small towns, how are they going to survive? Let's go back to the interview and see what Art Cullen has to say. Now, you mentioned your son, Tom, and I know that when I look at the masthead, I see lots of Cullens 
would you is this a, is it a would you call it a family-owned paper? I think you call it employee-owned. Well, it actually, it's a family-owned paper, but all the employees are family, so uh, call it what you want. It's employee-owned. It's in family-owned. Uh -huh. and, uh, and we also have another publication called The Progressive Populist, uh, uh -huh. which is uh, circulated nationally. Uh, it's at populist.com. You can find information about it there. And that's my brother Jim in Austin, Texas. We lay it out and edit it in Storm Lake. And, uh, and my brother John is the publisher of both publications. And, uh, and so, yeah, we're, we're, we're a family-owned outfit. And uh, my, we hope my son Tom will kind of take over. Uh, there's kind of a generational transition. Before the pandemic, whenever I went out, to an airport or a hotel, I never saw anybody reading a printed newspaper, oh. not even a free USA Today. And we've got to make that transition pretty fast. They're all just looking at their cell phones. And so we've got to make that transition. And we're in the midst of it now. I see. Huh. And that'll be up to the younger generation. John and I, I'm afraid, are old print Luddites. And, uh, and so is my brother, Jim. And uh, it's going to take a younger generation to figure out the way forward, I think. Well, that's, yeah, that's a dilemma. But you guys have come through a lot already. So it, it sounds like you'll be able to negotiate it and figure it out. Um, one, I guess it's, a, I don't know if it's a last question or not, but um, I'm just wondering, how the newspaper and the immigrant community, how does, does that balance or does it balance? Um, because well, you are anti-corporate or trying to figure out how to make peace with the corporates. I just wonder how that affects the labor base. Well, first off, we're trying to grow our, our readership among the immigrant population, but mm -hmm. it's difficult when uh, a lot of the adults have a, a first or second grade education in Mexico, uh, or no education at all in Myanmar. And so there, uh, many of the immigrants who come here, uh, not all, but many are illiterate, functionally Ill illiterate in their native language, much less English. And so we've had a real time, a hard time breaking through to immigrant communities with our newspaper. They listen to radio, watch TV, but, you know, reading is, is uh, an entirely different thing. Mm -hmm. But we're, again, now with the, the next generation coming along, they're becoming newspaper readers. They're, they were Bernie Sanders supporters. Uh, they were, uh, you know, the young Latinos. And... And so now they're, they're taking their stake in the community and they're citizens and, and they're proud of being here. And, and with that, they'll, they'll start reading the newspaper. Our relationship with the employers is a little chilly right now uh, with Tyson because uh, we've worked with ProPublica on reporting about how the, uh, these, how the meatpacking companies we're working with the USDA to intimidate workers. And uh, so I'd say our uh, relationship with Tyson is a bit, you know, uh, chilly at the, at the moment. Mm -hmm. And uh, how that affects, uh, how our coverage of Tyson affects uh, the people who work there, I don't know. But somebody's got to speak up for them. And they have no union. There's no organizing for America here to speak up for those people. We're it. This is it. And if we don't, nobody will. Those are very wise last words. <laughs> well, I appreciate everything that you're doing, Art Cullen. And, uh, well, thank you. I appreciate your giving us the time. This well, thanks for having me. Thank you, and uh, right. have a great, great day. Same to you. All right.
And you have been listening to uh, Farm and Fiddle on 89.5 FM KOPN. I'm Margo McMillan. And the interview that you heard this evening was with Art Cullen of the Storm Lake Times. And you can subscribe to the Storm Lake Times by getting on the internet and looking up Storm Lake Times. And it's very easy to click around until you have got a subscription. Find out what's going on in Storm Lake, Iowa. Of course, we always encourage you to subscribe to your local paper and Many of them are online now. Maybe maybe all of them are online now. So it's uh, easy to get a subscription and you can stay up to date with what's going on. You know, one of the things that this pandemic has really pointed out for all of us is how fragile our national uh, connections are and how flummoxed the federal government gets when it's faced with a real crisis. It's it's hard to understand how these decisions such as how to resume school or how to uh, whether to have masks or not to have masks on when you go outside how that has been left up to the local community but it has and so we have to become very aware of what's going on in our local community and learn how to influence it. We, we all have a voice, especially at the local level. So uh, I guess I'll get off my soapbox now. The music we just heard was Vivian Williams, and Vivian is a Seattle fiddler. She was backed up by her husband, Phil Williams. This is from the CD called Waltzes. It's on the Voyager label. Every time I listen to this CD, I get a new favorite waltz. So this one was a beautiful night. And uh, we'll go out with another one. But first of all, we have a chore of the week. And now it's time for chore of the week. And you know, it's October, hard to believe, but that means it's hunting season and the bow, the bow season has already started in mid-Missouri, which means of course, if you're gonna go out in the woods, wear something orange. Firearm season doesn't start until November, but we have a little time now. If we don't want hunters on our places, Missouri has a, a fairly unique law called the Purple Paint Law. And sometimes when you're out driving, you'll see that some of your neighbors or some people, you, you might pass them on the road, have painted the fence posts around their farm with purple paint. And that is a sign to hunters that, no, you may not trespass on this land. We're kind of unique in that. I think there's about four other states that have a purple paint law, but I believe we were the first. We originated it. So, hey, we might as well take advantage of it. Uh, all you have to do is go to the paint store and find some purple paint. And uh, you can find a spray paint. It's, it's not that important whether it's light purple or dark purple. It could be lavender, it can be violet. You can try to mix it up with those paints that have been uh, poorly mixed at the paint store. You know, there's always a table full of cheap paint that, that uh, they didn't mix just right. You can try to use that, get some red and some blue. That's how they told you you could do it back in kindergarten. Unfortunately, it is really tricky to get purple. I have tried it many times, and I've had artist friends who have <laughs> thrown themselves into the project with me, and uh, we just, it's, it's really hard to get purple. You'll get kind of a muddy brown, or you'll get a really blacky red, but uh, yeah, I don't know. Getting purple is just a tough one, so I would recommend just going to the paint store and having them mix a purple for you. But, you know, it's always fun to try new stuff, so go ahead and try it.
All you have to do is get out to the front of your property and start painting the fence posts or you can paint trees. They recommend that the painted pieces are about 20 feet apart. So if you have to put a post in or you have to put something in, then uh, do that. And that is a sign to hunters that you do not want hunting on your place. At the same time, while you've got your purple paint out, and maybe you have uh, painted some of your lawn furniture by this time, the, the other part of this preparing for hunting job is to get out anything orange in the clothing department. This can be a vest, it can be a jacket, it can be a belt, it can be a backpack, something orange. Get it out, put it by your front door. Uh, if you have a clothes hanger there, hang everything up or just drape it on a table, but put it in a place that's very convenient and very obvious so that anyone in your family who walks outside can, you want your family to know, your kids, your grandma, whoever is around, that it's very important for them to have on orange if they're going to go out to the mailbox, if they're going to go walk the dog, go out and pat the donkey on the nose, anything that they're going to do, even though they're in their own yard, we want people to be wearing orange. We want people to be very, very visible to any hunters who may be, oh, you know, in tree stands, not too far away from you, really. So that's the chore of the week. You probably didn't need any more chores this week. This is a busy time. I see guys out in the hay field again. It's, it, we have had such perfect weather that uh, folks are getting a second cutting in fields that they've never gotten a second cutting before. And of course, it will not be any time at all until the combines are out and that's going on. And uh, well, I have some friends who picked up meat at the butchers just, just today. So uh, that's the chore of the week. Try to get all that stuff done before the weather gets any cooler because, you know, you're not going to want to go outside after a while. That's the chore of the week, and we will have another chore for you next week. And we're going to go out with a little more Vivian Williams from that CD called Waltzes. I think we'll go out with Sir John MacDonald's Waltz and Silver Wedding Waltz. And uh, see you next week. <laughs>